If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. This is another of our popular Listener's Choice interviews, which we're playing over the weekend. We've chosen the most popular interviews for you to select the Listener's Choice winner. If you're not sure how the Listener's Choice competition works, have a look at horsechats.com choice for the rules and the leaderboard. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. International Horse College's motto is people safety and horse welfare, and you'll find this message throughout our chats. Registered Training Organisation number 31352. Now, Wendy, we've got Wendy Barker again today. How are you today, Wendy? I'm really well, thanks, Glenis. Yes, so am I, Wendy. It's good to talk to you again. We talked to you on episode 88, that's 088, but you're pretty popular, so you came back again on A Listener's Choice as episode number 345. So we're talking to you today about 10 tips to help you before you start your dress at a competition. Is that right? Yeah, look, Mm. um, I I think there's probably lots of different things, but I'm probably concentrating more on people who are not quite so experienced because if you've ridden many, many competitions for many years, you've got your own strategies, really. Sure, sure. But for people with a bit less experience. But you know what? Even if you've got your own strategies and you might go out, you might be doing it every weekend and, and have a couple of horses and be doing it all the time, you still might listen to this and go, oh, I'd forgotten about that or I hadn't thought about that for a while or that might work for this new horse that I've got, you know. So while you might have focused it on people who are starting to learn, we shouldn't discount those experienced competitors as well. Absolutely not. Mm. You're Mm. quite right. Yep. All right. Now, the first one, we've got make sure you and your coach know and base your training on the training scale. So can you tell us a little bit, just briefly for people who haven't heard of the training scale or don't know the training scale that we're talking about, you know, just about how judges use this as a baseline, where their marks come from? Most definitely. And look, I'll just say before I start talking about it that Mm. if you haven't heard of it before, you can download the Equestrian Australia Dressage Rulebook and there will be information in that for you on it right near the beginning. And that's a really good place to start. But the, the training scale is now called the FEI training scale. It used to be the German training scale, but mm-hmm. I think we all know that, um, well, those of us who've been training horses for a long time do appreciate that whenever you think, mm, what should I be doing to deal with this issue, it's just the best place to go. I've got a sign, I've had a sign up in my arena for about the last 25 years, which is the training scale. And Good. it's yep. amazing how many people come for a first lesson and take a photograph of it. <laughs> yes, yes, that's good, isn't it? Good, good. Yeah. And uh, for those people who are international listeners, just I'm sure if you Google, you know, dressage Indeed. training scale. FEI training scale, German training scale, you'll pretty much get the same thing. You you know, if you're listening in English, you'll want the English version, but I'm sure you'll be able to find it somewhere. Yep. You definitely will. You definitely yep. will. Yeah. Yep. So the training scale starts with rhythm because we, we do want relaxation, but the best play, way to get relaxation if your horse is a little bit anxious or tense is to just 
try to achieve a rhythm. And, and the two ingredients that as judges we're looking for in rhythm are that the tempo is the right tempo for that particular horse. So the tempo for a very long-legged horse will be a little slower than the tempo for a pony. But, of course, all horses can become a little hurried or sometimes they can become too slow and that won't be the best tempo. So tempo is the speed of the rhythm. That's part of rhythm. The other really important part of rhythm is the regularity of the paces. And that means that the footfalls will need to be clear footfalls throughout each of those paces. So in walk, it'll be a four-beat walk and there will be a moment when, for instance, the left four leg Mm -hmm. will still be pointing backwards and the left hind foot will be stepping forward into the print or near the print of that left forefoot before it leaves. And so you get a moment when the two cannon bones, the, the front and hind leg on the left, form a V and, of course, the same on the right. So that will make it clear four-beat walk if you see that momentary V. And sometimes judges will say V could be clearer or show a a clearer V throughout the walk or something like that to tell people that the walk wasn't always clear. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's the walk. And it can become not so clear either because the horse is tense Mm-hmm. or because the horse is very lazy. So it's finding that middle ground where the horse is in the best walk he can produce. And then the, the second pace we would talk about will be the trot, and there should be two beats in the trot. There shouldn't be any diagonal irregularity, and you wouldn't hear that on sand or grass, but you can hear it on a harder surface if there is any irregularity in that. And that should have a diagonal pair separated by moment of suspension. So that's the two-beat trot. Mm-hmm. And, of course, if a horse is not completely sound, if he has a limb injury, he may not be completely clear in the trot. And it may not show up in the walk or the canter, but it will most definitely show up first in the trot. Okay. So that's the trot, the regularity in the trot. And then the, the canter should be a three-beat but when you're choosing music for canter, if you're doing freestyle, you would always look for music that had a four beat because the fourth moment in the music will be when the horse is in the air showing a moment of suspension. So mm-hmm. you can't use waltz music for a canter, even though waltz music is three beat because okay. there's no opportunity for the moment of suspension to be yep. affected. Yep. 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 And I think that's an interesting point for people who are thinking about freestyle. Yeah. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. a lot of inexperienced people do choose waltz music and it mm-hmm. doesn't work. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. work. Yeah. So, so that's the canter. And the canter, if we, for instance, we're asking the horse to canter left, he would begin with his right hind. He would then have a diagonal pair, um, which will be his, um, where we're cantering left, aren't we? So right hind we've already started with. So left hind and right fore will come through together as a diagonal pair. And then the left front leg, which is the leading leg, will come down last. So that's where the three beats come from. And what can happen if the horse gets very tense or if he starts to gallop is that diagonal pair will break up and that's what will make your canter not be a three beat anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it'll become a full beat canter. All right, all right. Even worse, it could become a two beat canter. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Yes. So rhythm was number one on the training scale. And unless you've got that, you can't really think about anything else. But once you've achieved fairly consistent rhythm, then you work on suppleness. And there's two sides to that. There's the physical suppleness that the horse flexes and bends left and right, 
that he's laterally supple and that he's longitudinally supple. In other words, that he can lift his back, tighten his ab muscles so his core is engaged in the effort that he's making and he comes rounder and rounder as he goes further up the training in his level. So he may not really be on the beach in a prep test or a preliminary test or possibly even in a novice, but by the time he gets to elementary, he should be on the beach. So that's what we mean by longitudinal suppleness. And then the second part of suppleness is the mental suppleness, which is the relaxation that the horse shows. And there are many ways a horse can, a judge can see that, and that is the loose, a horse having a good swinging back will have a, an S in his tail, a pendulum tail. He'll have some cappuccino in his mouth and hopefully even between his hind legs as well. Um, and he will have an expression on his face that shows that he's confident and at ease with the work he's doing and the rider who's asking him the questions he's being asked. So that's the mental relaxation. I have to keep going because I'm going to run out of time. So next is contact. And for contact, we don't just mean his mouth or the reins. We mean that the horse steps willingly into the rider's hand from an active hind leg and accepts an elastic connection with mm-hmm. the rider through the rein. On to impulsion. Um, this is that there is energy and that it's channeled through the horse's body. And again, you can't have impulsion if the horse is relaxed in his back um, and engaging his hind legs, bending the joints in his hind legs as they land, not when they're in the air. That's not the important time. It's when mm-hmm. they land, yes. carry weight. On to straightness. Well, a lot, we could talk about straightness for a long time, but we haven't got time. But um, mm-hmm. we... We don't expect horses to be as straight in prep and prelim as we do when they are riding at FEI level. So horses will become straighter once they develop more suppleness and more strength through more training. And that will mean that the track of the left hind will be on the same line as the track of the left fore, whether he's on a straight line or a curved line. And the same with his right hind and right fore. Mm -hmm. So that's straightness and equal weight bearing on both of those sides of the horse. Yep. Last one is collection. Now, we're talking more about people who are not so experienced here today, but we even in prelim and novice tests, we see a moment of collection through a well-ridden corner or a half-turn motor circle onto a centre line or on a transition. So horses do have a moment of collection if you use your corners and your smaller figures mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So that's number one. So that took a long time. So I won't take as long on the other <laughs> But But an important one, I think, you know, a good one to start it off is. with and an important one for people. It is because every judge is, with, with every mark that they give, a little momentary fleeting thing through their head is how is the rhythm, how is the supplements, how is the contact, how is the impulsion, how is mm-hmm. the straightness, how is the collection. So before they come to the mark. Yep. So it is important that coaches and riders also work on those same we all seem from the same home. Same mm, mm, book. Mm. That is yep. really what we're saying. Yep. yep. On to number two. And yep. number two for me, I'm a bit of a list person. I've arrived at shows several times in my life where I've forgotten something important and I've had to run around and um, call a favour in on somebody else there and they've yes. lent me a girth or they've yes. lent me a tie yes. or something. So now I have an electronic list. And before a show, I print that out and then I cross it off. And then I can't forget anything Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, (laughs) because mm -hmm. I've got my list. And I think we're all so busy. I find the day before a show or the day of the show when I'm getting ready, I like to 
have done some things earlier, so I yeah. haven't got so much to do yeah. on the day. And, and having that electronic list is good, you know, something that you're not going to just lose, it's going to be there. And, uh, you know, if you print it out, that gives you a physical copy then that you can just have the joy of crossing things out when you when you actually do it. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. And look, part of that, I think, is making sure that you've done everything you need to do with your horse because mm-hmm. it really is important that, we do go in looking as though we know what we're doing, we're professional, yes. we're well prepared. It's a, it's a part of the respect for the judge. And I, as a judge, I try always to be well-groomed as well because I know how long it takes to get horses mm-hmm. and riders ready. But I think we do want to be well presented. And once in my life I've had somebody come in and honestly it looked as though they'd just been through a birch broom backwards and it just a birch, birch bush backwards and it just really made a very poor first impression. And this was for an FEI test. So FEI, we do expect people to know how to present yes, themselves yes, and their horse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a performance. It's a small performance, short performance, but it is a performance. And you mm-hmm. wouldn't expect a ballet dancer to come on stage looking scruffy and you wouldn't for expect sure. a for sure. to do yeah. that. So that's part of that preparation, I yeah. think. I think part of the preparation, because, you know, that's an important part of the preparation, and you're talking about training before you start your dressage competition. So the the list, the preparation, but then the next one you've got is knowing your test inside out. Uh, absolutely. And yep. before I do that, I just want to add one little thing, which is I make sure I pack my car in exactly the same way every time. So my mini-esky always sits behind the driver's seat and yep. if someone needs to get me some water I can say just look behind the driver's seat mm-hmm. so um, everything goes in the same place and I don't lose things that way so that helps a lot when you're in a fluster yep. um, and know your test inside out number three know your test because if you're busy thinking about oh where do I go next you can't be thinking about how your horse is going or improving the energy or the connection or the straightness of your horse if you're yep. busy thinking about where to go next. Mm. So you do need to know, well, I, I am a professional educator and have been for many years and I educate adults. So I'm going to tell you about two really valuable ways you can learn tests a little more effectively. The first is called chunking. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm assuming I'm talking mainly to a Western audience and we're people who write things down. We, yes. we have phones and we have pieces of paper and so... We are not good at remembering very long lists of things, so we need to make sure we, we chunk stuff into six or fewer items. Uh, I could remember phone numbers a long time ago when they were only six or seven <laughs> numbers, yes. but now they're ten, I just, you just can't. And that's true for most people who are used to having the luxury of writing things down. So how do you chunk a test? Well, if it was a premium or a novice test, it might be something simple like there's a trot chunk, then there's a walk chunk, then there's a left canter chunk, then there's a right canter chunk, and then there's a bit more trot at the end. Um, So that's one way of chunking it into six or fewer chunks for one test, which Mm -hmm. might be 20 movements. Another way is you might say, oh, well, in my medium test, I have all the lateral work first, the soldering and the half pass in trot, then I have the mediums, then I have the walk, then I have the canter sequence beginning on the left rein, might be 50 metres circle length and canter, counter counter loop, transition yep. on the diagonal, yep. and then the same on the other rein. So that's that's another way of chunking it. Mm-hmm. It does get harder once you get to FEI, <laughs> a longer yep. test yep. and many different things, but it's a really good strategy to helping you remember your test. Mm-hmm. And then you can actually train those chunks. And the ones that you're going to forget are the middle chunks. We're good at remembering the first and last parts of any task, 
Yes. The middle parts of the bits you need to practice in your training a bit more so you don't, your brain doesn't abandon you in the middle of the test. Mm-hmm. And to do that, you can really concentrate more on how your horse is going in the test because all the test will be so clear in your head. Okay. Second technique adults are very good at using is multiple senses. That means don't just draw it, don't just say aloud, do both at the same time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So whether you draw it on a table or in the air or on your windscreen while you're sitting at a long set of traffic lights, but say it out loud at the same time yep. because that will really help you with your recollection of the test. Yep, yep. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. And just thinking for, for the people that are more kinesthetic, um, maybe just, and I know it takes longer, but closing your eyes and just visualising it and riding it, feeling it, you know, feeling that you're Absolutely. on the horse that you're riding. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Or walking around your, you know, your lounge. Yes, 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 <laughs> yeah. that's right. I, I will talk a bit more about visualisation later because it is a really very mm-hmm. valuable strategy. Yeah. But let's move on to number four. Okay, so that's be training at a higher level at home and clinic, mm. so which then you can prepare to complete. So it's sort of like if you're jumping, you're jumping higher than what you're competing. So you're riding higher than you're competing. Yep. If I, if I wanted to jump metre 20 tracks, which I did a long time ago, yep. I would be jumping a metre 30 at home. And yes. then when you go out, the course doesn't look so big mm. because mm. you know you can you can jump bigger yep. tracks at home yep. than yep. you have to jump when you're out. And the same with the um, dressage. If you, if you can only barely do the work in the novice test, then you probably should just be riding in the prelim test, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. prep test as well, so that you don't go out there thinking, oh, gosh, I don't know if I'll be able to do this in this situation. He's not used to this surface or he's been to this venue before. So you want to be confident in yourself and you want your horse to feel confident that everything you're asking to do in front of a judge mm-hmm. is something he's very confident and familiar with. Good, good. And that helps his his confidence. All right. Yes, yes. And the next one you've got is about riding the horses at protocol days. So for those people who don't understand protocol days, can you just briefly talk about that and then talk about riding the tests there? Yeah, look, look, protocol days have lots of different names. They can be called training days or training test days or probably there's a few other terms that can be used as well. But the idea is that you're not actually at a competition trying to win a ribbon or a rosette, you're just going to have a judge who is an experienced judge judge you and then discuss how the test went mm-hmm. after the, you've finished the test. And you may even then have the opportunity in some situations to redo some parts of the test. Perhaps you've got a wrong leg in the canter and you didn't get to do the canter as well as you normally could and you might like to do that again or... Um, so it's an opportunity just to develop your skills in writing tests and to develop your confidence, but also to learn more as well. Mm-hmm. And to put your horse in a situation, you like a competition, but without quite the same kind of anxiety yep. that some people For sure, for sure. Yeah, so that's it. And something I wanted to add there is yeah. that I think at home, you should try to write through your tests. I try now to write through tests at least once a week or year, not just during the competition season. Yep. And I also, if I'm going to a new level, I warm my horse up 
in walk for 15 to 20 minutes because we know that's the best thing you can do to their joints. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could go into that we won't have time. But then you can walk through a whole test. Yes. And that's when um, another time you can use visualisation again. So you can actually be saying, right, as I'm coming down this sex line, I'm trying to have a lot of power and energy to build and then I'm going to sit really tall and I'm going to try to make the steps a little bit shorter and higher just before I get to the halt. So the horse is on its hind legs in balance and um, pumped in this transition through the halt. Mm-hmm. So that would be something you would do while visualising. So you're not just walking and falling asleep, you're actually thinking about how you're going to ride each of these movements. So that's that's part of riding three tests too, partly the but you can do it at home and you can yeah. do it in walk um, at a leisurely pace at the beginning yeah. of your ride. Yes, and I think that's uh, yeah, that's a really good tip too. You know, just to um, it, just to go through. It's like riding the test in your lounge room, but you're doing with a little bit better quality. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. interestingly, there's been some research on our gold medalist um, riders. Yep, and they all have stupendously powerful visualization skills. Yep, and they assume when they were, were researched that everyone else had the same skills, but in fact. Most of us really have to work at that. Yep. And practice does improve the visualisation skills, but not everyone has the sort of natural talents in visualisation that the best writers in the world have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. yep. Yeah. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot off the press notification. That is, that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available, and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. So Wendy, the goals, you know, would you be able to talk about goals? And I know you're going to talk about smart goals. Mm. Well, I know many people will know about this, but I just want to apply a little bit to training and riding horses. Mm -hmm. So, um, S is for specific and smart, and this can be something very measurable. I think there's lots of very measurable things when you're training horses. And an example would be, I want to count no more than 14 strides of counter down the long side from corner marker to corner marker for my length and counter. Then I know my steps are longer because normally I would get 18 or 20, yes. 16 steps. So that means each step is bigger, longer. Mm-hmm. So that's a, a good example of a specific um, goal that you can set for yourself. Um, and then we can move on to M, measurable. And an example of um, a measurable goal would be, I want to improve the score for my entry and final halt in my next test because I didn't think about them enough and I didn't prepare the horse enough and I only got 5.5 or 6 and I know I can get a bigger mark if sure. I really apply myself. So that's measurable. Achievable, um, perhaps your best novice score so far has been 65%. So it would be quite 
achievable on the right day and not if the weather suddenly ruins it for you, but to aim for perhaps 66% in mm-hmm. your next two or three items. So that's achievable in the next one, which is R for realistic, go hand in hand really. It's just not really going to be very motivating for you if you say, well, I've only got 65% and next time I want to get 85%. Now, I'll tell you about a client I had who's just started competing. She's been having lessons for a while, just started competing. On Facebook, she wrote, very disappointed. I only got 60% in my first test and I'm only at 90% in all my studies and that's what I want to be getting when I do the test. Mm-hmm. Well, both of us have done it in Understand that that would be a mark that only two horses in the international competition have ever yes. achieved. Yes, yes. Amazing horses, I'm talking about Totalus and like that. But um, for most of us, we would be pretty thrilled for 60% for our mm-hmm. first part. And you can always build on that. Um, and you do need to know what is realistic. And in a, especially in official competition, in 65, it's not a shabby number, even though in some other disciplines it may not be such a good mark. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and being realistic about what you can achieve. And it will depend a bit on your horse. If your horse is a, a dear, older, slightly stiff, very genuine, honest horse, then probably 90% is going to be out of your reach. Yep. So you do need to be realistic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so the last um, element of the SMART list is T, and T is for being time-related. Yep. And I think this is for those of um, the riding population who don't find it so easy to stay motivated. If you come home after a big day at work and feel a bit weary, or look out through the window and see it's wet or windy or cold, Oh gosh, maybe I'm going to ride tonight. I think it's it's really good to set goals for one month, three months, and your year where you want to be in a year's time. Because if you, if you don't ride each time you come home from work and you're feeling a bit tired or mm-hmm. the weather's not ideal, you probably won't get to where you want to be in the following year if you had an ambitious goal for a year's time. So I think the timeline was really an important part of the whole smart. Picture. Yep. So, yeah, we're thinking of the short-term goals, the medium-term goals, and the longer-term goals, and that might be your five-year plan. You, you may plan to write the national championships in five years' time, and so you need to put in the hard yards so you can get there. Yep, yep, um, yep. And for for each competition, you should have your own goals as well. Yes. And goals can't be vague and wishy-washy things like, oh, I want to ride better, or I want my horse to be softer. You can have those but you also need to have measurable goals so mm-hmm. you can actually decide what you have achieved, what you need to achieve or what you need to do next time so you can get closer to that goal. Yep, yep. All right, now the next one. We've got um, so that you arrive in plenty of time, what sort of time would you recommend to arrive before the actual, you know, if you've got your time, before the mm-hmm. time that you're riding, how much is plenty of time? Okay, so look, Something Harry Bolt, who I've been lucky enough to have a lot of help from over many years as a wonderful trainer, he says, look, horses can be affected by the fumes in a float or a truck. So give them time to recover from travelling and breathing in fumes on the way to a competition. So that's one thing a lot of people don't think of. Another thing is that you don't want to be rushing. If you get 
stressed, your um, your blood will suddenly have three hormones injected into it. And these are adrenaline, noradrenaline and cortisol. These are three stress hormones that will then be there for at least 20 minutes, but they could be there for up to a day if you don't calm yourself down. So better not to get into a position where you have those there because that will really affect how your brain functions, particularly your frontal lobe of your brain, which is the rational thinking, logical part of your brain, which you need at a competition to work well. So you don't want to be running late when you arrive. You don't want a traffic hold-up or a flat tyre or something like that to mean you're going immediately into a test once you have a saddle on the horse. You want to have time to do everything while you walk and talk quietly and slowly so everyone is calm, yourself and your horse mm-hmm. and your strapper if you have a strapper. Uh-huh. Um, yes. so, and, and tacking up, you want that same idea. You want to do it in a set routine. If you watch top athletes, they all do exactly the same thing before each race or before each ice dance in performance or whatever. And that's because they don't want to have to think about whether they've done everything. They do everything in a very particular routine so their brain can focus just on the performance, not on all those little details. Yep. And we need to do the same thing. So if you always put your warm-up boots on your horse first, do that at a show. Mm-hmm. If you then put the saddle on, do that at a show. If you lastly put your bridle on, do that at a show. Mm-hmm. But do allow plenty of time so you're calm and allow a little bit of time to run through your test with whoever you might have who's with you, Okay. whether it's Jack or your mum, yep. to make sure that you do know the test before you actually going out there to do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now you've got um, to run through the test. What else can the strapper or your mum or whoever, you know, some people will have their coach, but whoever, what else can they do to help? Well, I like to put a bag in the hands of my strapper yep. or my friend. Yep. And um, in the bag I have a copy of the test. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that's on my list from earlier. And the bag will have some water in it. I like to have some water with some electrolytes in it because I get a little bit of cramp sometimes if, I, if it's a hot day and I haven't got electrolytes. Mm-hmm. Um, some fly repellent, some lip protectors so my lips don't get burned, some Ventolin if you're an asthma sufferer, anything else that you think you need. But room in the bag so you can put your tendon boots and bell boots in yes. that mm-hmm. once the, the gear, your um, strapper has taken your, your warm-up gear off because... Otherwise, they've got an armful of things and they won't be able to carry everything. So you need a, a decent bag to okay. carry that. Good. And you need to good. choose a strapper who's going to be calm, mm-hmm. a good influence on you, and preferably a positive influence on you. Yep. Not someone who's going to say, oh, that was useless. Oh, I don't even know why he's competing today. That's mm. not what you want someone to say to you before you go in. <laughs> yep, yep. So someone yep. who's supporting and... Um, can calm you down if you do get anxious. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. All right. Now, the next thing you've got um, about riding, where you warm up and where the arena is, you know, like if you can find a nice quiet place down in the corner and your test is five minutes away, where should you warm up? Look, um, I think it depends a little bit on surfaces. I'm particularly fussy about good surfaces mm-hmm. because good surfaces keep legs sound. So yes. 
for me, my first priority is, am I warming up where the surface is good? If you can find a quiet place but the surface is likely to damage a yes. dispensary yeah. or a checked ligament, stay away from it. Mm-hmm. That's, that's pretty important. Um, it's good not to be too far away if possible because then you can see how the arena is running and whether things are suddenly getting early or late or yep. whatever. Maybe you should give your horse a bit of a stretch and a relax if, if the arena is running late, if the judges haven't come back from a tea break or something like that. Um, but once you actually go over to the arena and you want to be ready to do that as soon as possible, especially if you're on a horse that's a little bit of a looky, spooky kind of a horse, mm-hmm. try to get there the second the previous rider is exiting at A so that you have a chance to go around on both reins and give your horse a look at everything around that arena surround on both reins. So mm-hmm. one circuit on one rein, change and then do the circuit on the other way if you have the time to do it. Okay, okay. Also can give you a chance to identify particular things. You know, an indoor arena might have large fans that with shadows maybe indoors, which you might have gone up the week before and the fans went on and your horse didn't have to deal with that or mm-hmm. there could be sunspots in some indoor arenas or maybe a slippery corner if it's a wet day and you're, you know, number 35 in yes. grass arena. So you need to just have a chance to look at those things as well and decide how you're going to, to deal with that. If it's a very slippery, treacherous corner, you might just cut that corner mm-hmm. to save from doing your horse. Um, so it's all of those sorts of things. Um, Try to be bright and chirpy with the, the judge. If the judge does want to you to pause, some judges will just um, get your number as you ride past. Some mm-hmm. will ask you to stop. Yep. Um, but definitely not standing, hovering around near the judge while they are trying to complete collectives for the previous horse. Yep. Because that is not good for your horse. You need to keep your horse focused and you definitely don't want to be overhearing what a judge is saying to a writer because judges wouldn't appreciate you doing mm-hmm. that. Yep, yep. All right. Is there anything else we need to do, you know, about riding around the outside of the arena? Anything else we need to be thinking of before we actually go into the arena and ride our test? Indeed there is. And, look, it's going to depend a great deal on the kind of horse that you're on and how Mm -hmm. they are responding. So if you've got a horse that's got a little bit tense and and, um, lost some suppleness, um, then the best thing for you might be to do a few steps of leg left and then a few steps of leg right or a bit of shoulder left, shoulder right. Um, on the other hand, you might be a horse that's turned into a bit of a snoozer and you might need to get him sharp. So you might do quite a few transitions on the way around the arena or you might do some medium canter to energise him and get those hind legs a little bit quicker. So it will depend a lot on your horse mm-hmm. and you do also need to be considerate if your arena is near another arena. You don't want to do a medium canter too close to a horse in another arena. But you try and, and um, take whatever advantages you can from doing whatever helps your horse to perform well in that test. There's a few other little tips that, speaking as a judge, I, I see some people come in and not necessarily looking as professional as they might. Um, the first thing that you would do is make sure that when you salute, you don't salute with the hand that has whip in it. Mm, yes. Um, in some countries like the UK, that's actually against the rules for safety reasons. It mm-hmm. couldn't find a horse, but it just doesn't look very professional. So if you bring your 
wicking in your right hand, then you should salute with your left hand mm-hmm. and vice Okay. When you have a series of judges around the arena, really the proper protocol is just to salute a C judge. Yes. You don't need to nod at five judges around the arena. You don't want to see you doing that. Um, and make sure that your salute is understated. This is dress art. It's not the theatre. So we don't want a big theatrical wave of your hand as you might if you had completed a performance on a ballet stage. Yes. Um, yes. And Sometimes you might need to swap your whip around in the test. You may have a horse that needs the whip to help you with the leg yield both ways, and then you need a plan of which rein do I need it in for the first leg yield and when am I going to change my whip over mm-hmm. for the second leg yield. Or sometimes I've needed that for a flying change too. Yep. So sometimes you need to think about that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's mm-hmm. not always just whichever hand you picked it up with when you yeah. mounted your horse. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. All right. Look, Wendy, good advice. And as I said right at the beginning, I'll bet there'll be something in there that a more experienced rider will say, oh, yes, now I've got that. That was something extra I should be thinking about. So, yeah, thank you for coming. Thank you for your time. We certainly appreciate your expertise. Now, Wendy, if people would like to contact you, what's the best way? Best way is just on my mobile phone. Okay, yes. It's 0409065304. Perfect. And anyone would like to get those details, it'll be under horsechats.com slash Wendy Barker 2, remembering that Wendy's already been on and done other interviews or, or done another interview and then a listener's choice. Now, Wendy, I know that earlier on you talked about straightness and you said, but I won't go into that here because that's a really big subject. We would love you to come back and talk about straightness or another subject that um, that you think is well worth it because, you know, I think that your time's very valuable, our listener's time's valuable, and I think if we can put the two together, then that would be the ideal. Oh, it will be my pleasure. <laughs> All right, Wendy, look, good to talk to you and hopefully we'll catch up with you again soon. Thanks very much, Glenn. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 